Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., To Rapino and everybody's got a bomb forward now. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards one. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, Chelsea come back to earth with a dreary draw against Juventus and a shock defeat at Reading. What's going on at King's Meadow? Elsewhere, Birmingham pushed Man City and their four subs right to the edge. And this weekend's FA Cup third round threw up a fair few surprises. Sorry, Chloe. Dimension. Two. Signing it through. England's in. Goalkeeper gets it. go too deeply into that because we know it was a it was a tough bus ride home um let's kick off with reading one chelsea nil i'm a good Um, luck charm i don't think anyone saw that coming Uh, kelly chambers certainly didn't see it coming she was pretty surprised in the in her her post-match i think she saw me coming and then assumed that that they were going to lose to chelsea but actually we've broken the curse and they beat them. It was, uh, yeah, it was a surprising result for everyone around, I think. Um, the early goal was certainly a surprise. Uh, 
the Chelsea defence just kind of opened up in front of Deanne Rose and um, let her straight through. A lovely one too with uh, Emma Harris and it was such a good goal. Um, yeah, I was I was surprised and, and I'm really pleased for Reading because it seemed to be on a really good run of form at the moment. Chelsea, to be fair, did throw everything at them. They mm. threw the kitchen sink. They could not get a goal. I mean, there weren't even that many shots on target. Um, they had a good few kind of offsides. Grace Maloney made some good saves. But yeah, even bringing on the likes of Pernilla Harder, um, Fran Kirby, they still couldn't break the deadlock. Do you think, and I, I want to give a massive, massive credit to Kelly Chambers and Reading and especially Deanne Rose, who I think has just completely sort of rejuvenated their, their, whole, their whole team. But I want to focus on Chelsea first. Do you think it's tiredness? Because I felt like in the Juve game on Wednesday, in the second half especially, there were some really tired legs and I thought Emma Hayes might have made a few more changes on Saturday and she didn't. And then it felt like tiredness again. Sam Kerr starting for the third time in six days off the back of international duty. There were some surprising decisions there. Yeah, and I I think obviously it's physical fatigue, but I also think it might be a little bit of mental fatigue because Mm. they're they're very, very creative players and they're not finding solutions and they were kind of getting in each other's way. It wasn't just about Reading defending, but they were, you know, going for the same headers or, you know, the the shot would deflect off one of their own forwards in the box. So I think the mental fatigue is probably a big side of it as well, that they're struggling to, to find the gaps or to work out how to break down difficult defences in front of them. I'm really annoyed because, I mean, last podcast I was saying, you know what, Chelsea are looking like they're going to be winning the league. They've got this wrapped up just in time for Christmas. It's a done deal. And then now I am eating my words. Um, But I agree. I think it is a lot of tiredness. I mean, they just come off the back of the the FA Cup um, last weekend. They've got the Juve game and then straight into a WSL fixture. And, you know, three games in in seven or eight days is, is absolutely killer. You know, it, it, it forced a lot of decisions about squad rotation. It's also the, you know, the mental, the physical strain of it. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of issues there with the timetabling, I think, um, in certain games like this. I don't think the timetabling is proper, properly thought out because, you know, what you're going to see actually is sort of risk of injury if, if you continue to have games sort of of this intensity in, in such a short space of time. Yeah, but then I would say, you know, of all the teams, Chelsea has the luxury in the squad depth to be able to cope with it because Emma Hayes has been given the budget to cope with it because she's no, she knows that she's going to be deep in various competitions. Yeah, the delay of the FA Cup definitely doesn't help because you wouldn't expect to still be playing last season's FA Cup. But she knows she's going to be in Champions League to the latter stages. She's going to be in all the domestic cup competitions to the latter stages and she's going to be right in the league as well, right to the end. So in that sense, I feel like she has she has the tools at her disposal to be more flexible with the squad and she decided not to be. I think if any team can manage multiple competitions, it should be Chelsea. Um, I mean, there were some changes in the in the Saturday game. Um, you know, they did leave Pernilla Harder and Frank Kirby on the bench. Um, and they, you know, started with Jana Anderson, for example. Um, so there was a little bit of rotation. But yeah, I think there was a couple of big misses in the first half. And uh, that's when we had to bring on, you know, their superstars that weren't able to, to find the back of the net either. Um, it is an interesting one about squad rotation because you do see there's quite a number of players in Chelsea that have played like pretty much every game. Like if you think about, mm. I know Magda's captain, but like... She looked leggy on Saturday. There's some games that you don't necessarily need to play all of those players in. Um, but then when you look at Chelsea's defensive bench, if you put it that way, there's not a huge amount of options. So yeah, it's you're right about injury. I think that'll be my biggest worry. If they get an injury to a player like that who is playing nearly every game 
that could be a huge issue. And we saw last season Ericsson had a couple of weeks out around the sort of what was it like maybe court final stage of the yeah, Champions League. They there were questions over there. Yeah. The thing is though, I think it's difficult. I think, you know, when you've got a boss like Emma Hayes, I mean she thinks that every single competition, every single league game is is an important one. And obviously that's that's exactly the mentality that you want. So I think if, you know, for a manager, what you want to be doing is putting your best squad out there for every single game. And no, that's not always possible, but I think she's trying to do that to the absolute max, you know, but bar, I think that that is going to be the issue with, with injuries, potentially, if you, if you do push players too far. Um, well, before we move on to Reading, also just quickly, it really changes the narrative for Arsenal because they were looking at the week that they had losing the FA Cup final, uh, losing to Barcelona at home and were thinking, God, like this is not looking good completely flips the league for them because now they've got such an upper hand having recently dropped points to Spurs and feeling like probably Chelsea were breathing down their neck now got four point lead Chelsea have lost two games they haven't lost any I mean when I look at just having a quick look at the league table last season Chelsea only lost one game that game to Brighton kind of out of nowhere won the title pretty comfortably in the end the season that was paused because of the pandemic and we'll never quite know City had lost two games Chelsea had lost none at that point and we weren't really to know what would have happened because it's yeah you can't you can't predict that thing but City could have caught them having lost two games so having lo- losing two games in a season doesn't completely take you out of the title race no not at all we know that but it does pit- put you a step behind yeah totally i think Chelsea probably thought, no, look, they're going to take every game one at a time. That's what they're going to say. They're not going to have said like, you know, they saw themselves one point behind and felt like the league was theirs, right? But yes, they're snapping at Arsenal's heels. Arsenal had just had probably the worst week of their life. Um, so they probably felt like this was their opportunity. Um, so yeah, it's a, it is a big bit of breathing space for Arsenal. But the other thing it does is it shows you that no team is unbeatable in this league. So that's the other thing. This, there's this kind of assumption now that the both teams are going to go on and win every game. That's not really the case. Like there could be a banana skin waiting for both teams um, in the in the upcoming fixtures next year. So I still think I I'm still not sure where the title's going to go, but it definitely does give Arsenal, you know, breathing space. Looking at Reading now because we have to give them credit for what they did because I saw an identical sort of game last season at the Majeski or whatever it's called now, where. Reading scored early for a set piece against Manchester City, sat back and tried to hold on and came so agonisingly close. Grace Murray had a brilliant game. I think Man City that day had like 25 shots, so you know nearly as many as as, as uh, Chelsea had. And then Sam Mewis just went like turbo in the 80th minute and got a goal and just kind of broke through. But I thought I thought it was going to be similar to that. I thought Chelsea were going to find an equaliser and still be a brilliant point. But to resist that much pressure, to hold off like they did not only defensively, but but for Deanne Rose to take the opportunity she had and just cut through the Chelsea defence. I mean, going past, what, three Chelsea players running about 40-odd yards before laying it off to Harry's, playing that one-two and scoring. Am- amazing goal. Um, and I, I did a piece this week about how much she's changed their side and the amount of points that Reading have picked up when she's played and... And her stats, even though she's played fewer minutes than the likes of Cuthbert, Kirby and Kerr, like her stats are up there in terms of goal-creating actions, uh, shot-creating actions. Like She's really, really performing. And it's amazing to see from a player that's her first pro season. Yeah, and I think it's something that Reading actually have been missing was a player that's going to take their chances. Yeah. Um, you know, Because we saw them a lot in previous seasons where they'd come close or they'd hold teams, you know, withdrawing them for... 
80 odd minutes and then and lose out. Um, so that's a big coup for them to have someone who can who can do that. I think the beginning of the season, they, they hadn't, it felt like they hadn't 100% gelled. There were new players that had come in and they weren't quite reading each other very well. Um, but now they're so much more solid on the pitch. Um, they read each other much better. They know where everybody's going to be. Their defence is much more sound. You've got the likes of Gemma Evans, who's having an unbelievable season. We spoke to Grace Maloney and Tash Harding yesterday and, and Tash Harding did say that there was a little bit of luck that comes with these things. They are getting a little bit of the rub of the green, but it's also down to all the hard work, obviously, that's going on behind them. And, and Grace said how comfortable and confident she is with her defence in front of her. You know, when you see the likes of Gemma Evans going in for a sliding tackle, you know, a lot of the time your heart's probably in your mouth when you see, I don't know about you, Chloe, when you see a defender going in for a sliding tackle yeah, in the oh, box. Oh, you're about to give away a penalty. Yeah. And I'm like, I have to try and save exactly. it. Exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, she was like, no, when Gemma Evans does it, like, she's she's totally chill. She knows that she's going to win the tackle. So there's more confidence, much more fluidity within the team. Um, and it's great to see that everything's starting to click. I mean, that's definitely my experience of Reading. I mean, obviously, we only played them uh, last month uh, in the Conti Cup and you know they're they're a difficult side I think they're a difficult side to break down because they're just so robust so I think they're very patient they like to build up the play they're not they're absolutely fine passing the ball up across the back you know multiple times trying to wear you out and that's sort of one of their tactics but I agree that sort of one of the things they've been lacking is that kind of firepower up front but now with with Rose up there I mean the, the way that she's just steamed through that that defense I mean I've never seen anything like it and and Chelsea didn't even know what to do. And that was quite an there uncomfortable feeling. It was a real panic. It was right? like, okay, well, because she's coming. Um, uh, I'm not really sure what's happening here. Uh, normally people don't do this. So we're not too sure what the uh, what the protocol is. And she just kept going and they kept backing off and she kept going. Then they, they kept backing off. So um, I think that's going to be one of their tactics. I think this season is to actually, once they start to find confidence, they're starting to put more goals behind them. I think, you know, going forward is going to be one of the facets of their game. And, and that's something I've not really seen them be that aggressive with um, in sort of previous years. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I mean, maybe a bit um, disrespectfully, but I always, for the last few years, saw Reading as becoming a bit of a pot shot side. They love to try and like take shots from about 30 yards and sometimes they'd go in and sometimes they didn't. They didn't have the type of player that she is with the skill set that she has to actually attack teams and take on opportunities. It was always kind of like, let's see, you know, let's work the ball a little bit and then see what comes our way. Whereas she is someone who will take a chance head on and she has the ability to do that. She's very good on the ball. You know, she, she's very aggressive going forward, like you said. And I think that's just lifted them massively. She signed a two-year deal at Reading, so... Hopefully they can they can get the best out of her in that second season as well because you, I actually look at that side and I I know it maybe sounds a little bit dramatic but yes they've got all the defensive sort of robustness but like without someone like her going forward if she were to get injured like you don't really see a lot of firepower there Justine van Havenmaat who can play quite advanced up the pitch like she's been she was playing at centre back at the weekend because she's huge <laughs> and it felt like the best option against you know the 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 attacking paras that Chelsea had but actually there's not a lot of Attacking opportunity. Well, Tash Dowie has been has scored a couple of bangers this season. Um, but I think you're right when it comes to someone who will really drive at the defence with confidence. Um, I think together they could be hugely valuable for Reading. The other thing I want to look at as well, or touch on at least, is like it's really difficult. It sounds silly to say, but I, I imagine it's really difficult to stay so switched on for 90 minutes against a team like Chelsea who are throwing absolutely everything at you. And it was something that used to always annoy me that um, former Lionesses boss, Phil Neville, used to say is that the team switched off or they didn't, they, they lacked concentration or they struggled to concentrate for the 90 minutes, which always seemed like such a bizarre a thing to out. say. Yeah. But actually, when you look at a team like Chelsea who are just constantly moving the ball so... Yeah. Like Savet, right? Savet, yeah. who 
put in that really good performance at King's Meadow and held on to what, like the 70th minute? Nil-nil, just like backs against the wall. Keeper was phenomenal. Defence so organised. When you play a team like Chelsea, more, nine times out of ten, eventually you just yeah. can't hold on because yeah. you just disintegrate. Body and mind just falls apart. And Reading didn't do that. They were switched on for the full 90 minutes and I think that does actually deserve a huge amount of credit because we saw when Arsenal played Barcelona one kind of mistake can actually crumble that mindset. So Arsenal, it seemed quite switched on for the first 20 minutes defensively. And that one mistake, it was just a chink in their armour and it kind of fell apart a little bit after that. So yeah, being able to stay switched on the way Reading did, I was really impressed with that. No, credit to them. And I think it was probably a lot harder by the fact that they scored in the fourth minute, I think. And then you've got the kind of 90 odd minutes that are then left to like, be backs against the wall for that period of time, it, it would have been easier potentially to have hold off, held off nil-nil and then gone sort of, you know, one up in, in the sort of 80th minute or something like that. And then, you know, you've got 10 minutes, get behind, do everything you can. But yeah, no credit to them. I mean, they threw everything, bodies, hearts, souls, minds behind that thing and, and they deserved, I think they deserved it. And one last thing on this game as well, 59 WSL matches, Chelsea had gone, scoring a goal. Dating back to October 2018, that was how long the run was in which Chelsea had scored a goal in a game. So to stop a run like that over two years... And they'd never beaten them before. Yeah, in the WSL, they'd never beaten them, yeah. That's Crazy. Yeah. So both, you know, going forward and defensively to, to end a three-year scoring run, 59 games is huge. So credit to them. I mean, I first few games of the season, I looked at Reading and thought, they're quite lucky that Birmingham and Leicester will be worse than them mm. because they could be in real trouble. Won four of that out of their last five league games. Complete transformation. And so much is about is, is belief. Like you said, like Grace said, confidence. So much of it is about belief. And, and we're going to touch on Birmingham shortly because that's some of the belief you need. But before we stop and end this section, Wednesday night, that Juve game, interesting, interesting incident. Um... I think everyone's favourite, Sam Kerr. I mean, what a personality she is. Uh, it had to be her that did this. Shoulder barging a kid to the floor who tried to get a selfie with Magdalene Eriksson. Eriksson in a sort of, you know, polite, scandy way. I mean, the stewards were unmoved, literally like frozen in time, just watching this kid stro stroll onto the pitch. But Magdalene Eriksson sort of just shrugged him off and said, can you not? And then Sam Kerr was just like, you know what? If no one's going to deal with this, I am. And just wipes him out in like pure old school Aussie rules uh, like fashion um, it was a weird incident a it funny was. incident like I mean it was viral it was one of the biggest moments of women's football in a very long time I've seen on the internet anyway yeah I, I was there at the game um, tweeting and you know it's definitely not something you expect to have to deal with in the. I, I literally was like I think I tweeted, what the hell? There's there's actually a person on the pitch trying to get a selfie with Magda Eriksson. What's the protocol? And then I was so busy tweeting that that then I looked up and then he was flying through the air. I didn't actually see the shoulder barge. And then I saw Sam Kerr being booked and we were like, did, did Sam just really just do that? Um, yeah, not great. Not great for the game. And there's been a huge amount of talk around, you know, protecting the game and, and the fact that, you know, that there isn't, there wasn't, it's not, it wasn't deemed. Yeah, it's, it's a complicated one because the Athletic, Charlotte Harper, the Athletic broke a story and then Adam Millington got sort of follow-up from the Home Office to confirm. So the Athletic ran a story saying that it wasn't a desig, well, there, there are laws, there's basically a loophole in the law, you know, like a lot of these random laws that were written, you know, this is actually a very long time ago, it's the 1990s, but there are always loopholes. And one of the loopholes in the law is essentially that a lot of domestic women's games aren't designated matches and designated matches means there's a certain law 
on the pitch that you can't sort of break. And it's and, based on like attendances and stuff yeah, like that. there's various contextual things. And most of the time, the police will look at fixture and consider, you know, disturbances. You know, what's the chances that something's going to kick off? Um, you know, previous things that have happened, uh, crowd size, things like that, all the contextual things. So in this case, a lot of women's matches are not going to have a lot of policing. Um, and, you know, they discovered, at the Athletic, they discovered this loophole that for domestic WSL games and FA Cup matches, they're not classified as quote-unquote designated matches like men's are, which means that there is an automatic, you know, legal compliance that if you enter the field of play, you're breaking the law. So they found that, and it's obviously a strange loophole because you're like, well, then essentially there's a there's a loophole that someone could come onto the pitch and they're not facing any any you know prosecution. For what it. worries me is that that's been broadcast so much. Mm. I just it worries well, but, me that someone might take, but, but take but advantage also, of But that. also, you've got to remember as well that if they were to do anything indecent or violent, they're still breaking the law in a separate way. Yeah. So just just the the, the sheer so act, if they shoulder barge the player, for example. Yeah, the sheer act of coming on the pitch. So. Doesn't for, work the other way around. At, men, at men's games in the EFL the, or Premier League or whatever, the sheer act of going on the pitch is illegal. Right. At, a, at what they're saying is at the WSL, the sheer act of going on the pitch is not a, not illegal. So for a women's game, you have to physically assault one of the yes. players or expose yourself to get arrested. I mean, I'm not making any recommendations. Please don't do that. Please do not do that. What I'm saying is, I mean, personally, I don't. You know, I don't think we need to like be encouraging more arrests and policing of individuals. Um, you know, this is like going onto the pitch. He's already, he's got a club suspension and a club ban anyway. You know, it should really be up to the clubs as well for the stewards to be doing something, regardless of whether it's illegal or for him to get onto the pitch. And Anna Millington's follow-up from the Home Office said that actually it was on Wednesday night because it was a European game. So a European game is designated. But I mean, we don't all need to be basically saying that you know, we don't want more. We don't want more of like rules and policing and all of this. Is most of the time people are going to be banned anyway if they do this. So I agree, but I think the women's game still needs the same level of protection, sort of le- on a legal compliance basis. I mean, it's not okay to obviously now this story has made headlines. It's going to be well publicised. You might start to find that you know more and more people are going to enter the field of play because exactly. actually there's no repercussions. So this is a little bit worrying. But I know there was some. I think one of the, a couple of the MPs, the MPs of the the women's parliament football team, yeah. have now written to the yeah. House yeah. of Commons to request that this is now this loophole is now basically filled in. It's really difficult for stewards. I know people that have done that job. You get very little training, and it's really shit pay. So a lot of these guys, they're not professionals in this gig. They are, you know, really young people who are doing like a weekend job. They don't get a lot of training. So there's so many levels to it. But at the end of the day, it's a bizarre loophole to have. Yeah, where... but I'd also say, like, I don't know about you, but I've been on the wrong side of stewards plenty of time for ridiculous things. Um, you know, using too big a camera or, you know, when I didn't have a photographer, you accreditation, whatever. You know, you get all these kind of random things you get pulled up for. Um, I would have thought stewarding 101 would be don't let spectators on oh, the pitch. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, the the, the kid, the, the the person we should be laying into here is the stupid kid. I what, mean, what are you doing? <laughs> just like, like, <sighs> thank you to Sam Kerr for giving us a brilliant moment. No, thank you to the stupid kid for being a stupid kid. Stewards, please just like be Steward, a bit more alert. Stay switched on. I know, <laughs> I know it's shit, but just please be a little <laughs> if bit. If defenders more alert. can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Close the loophole. You know, let's just like please just. I want to move on from the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Because I just feel like people are getting. It's just going around in circles. Yeah. And here she is. And here's Rose. What a chance for Reading. And what a goal for Dianne Rose. And well 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Birmingham City. Unbelievable performance at the weekend. Minutes away from getting a point. Even more minutes away from pulling off a ridiculous win. I mean, going 1-0 up is one thing. We saw Leicester do it at the King Power earlier this season and then it you know, unravelled and talk about scoring early, Reading. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean anything if you score that early, but Birmingham not only got one penalty, you know, it's, a, it's an easy goal to score in a way. It's a big opportunity. But to score two, go 2-0 two up, I mean, just absolute scenes. Well, it was it was one and then one one all. Georgia Stanway got them back into it. And when that happened and it was 1-1, one, one, I was like, this is it's it It's going to be one-way yeah, traffic. City's yeah, gonna, City's going to get it. Um, but no, then Louise Quinn scored with her feet. I'm giving her a big shout out for scoring with her feet because she said she's uh, normally sent up there because she's tall and has to use her head. But she's scored with her feet a couple of times now. So yeah, that was, that was huge. Um, went up 2-1. Uh, Man City got back into it through Lauren Hemp um, and Birmingham had a couple of decent chances. Um, a couple of opportunities at 2-2 to go ahead. Uh, one, a kind of a bit of a mix-up at the back, shock her. Um, and then, yeah, another kind of opportunity higher up the pitch to to get a shot away on a bit of an open goal. Um, unfortunately, that was skied over. So that was amazing. I was really impressed with with how they played and they would have been forgiven for, you know, sitting back and, and trying to play really, really defensive. But actually, they did get out at um, Man City's defence. I asked Aaron Carter about that after the match. And he was kind of like, you kind of have to pick your poison. You know you're going up against a really tough team who can attack really well, but you also know what's been going on with, with the injuries. Um, and that was kind of something they, they wanted to look at. Four subs. Yeah, four, four subs. subs on the City bench. Yeah, so um, I was really impressed with how they actually pressed the, the Manchester City back line and put them under pressure um, because, yeah, they could have sat back and tried to protect the 1-0 lead or the 2-1 or the lead, um, but actually they really went for it. So huge turnaround, huge change in, in the way they've played. They seem more composed on the ball. They seem more confident and that was something Carter said pre-match was that he really wanted to try and get some belief and confidence back in the squad and have the team impose themselves more on games and they really, really did that. So unlucky not to get a point. I mean, I want to ask you, Chloe... <laughs> How much longer can you believe, though? Because if I was a Birmingham player and I'd come so close to getting a point, so close to winning that game as well, 
Like how how long can you hold on to that before you're like, oh for fuck's sake, it's not just it's not going to happen for us this season with everything else going on in the background. Um, well, I think it was just the mentality of that game was something different that I'd seen in Birmingham before. I think it was almost a case of, um, like Rachel said, let's not sit back. Let's just sod it. Why not? It was kind of let's go, let's go forward. Let's push forward as fast as we can. And it sort of became quite end to end at points. And that was sort of the most exciting thing about that fixture because I think everyone just sort of anticipated that it, it would be one way traffic. But, you know, I think as a as a player, yes, you're going to you're going to look at that. And obviously it's a defeat. You're not getting points. You're, you know, sort of slipping down the table. But in terms of what that actually represents, you've, you've, you've gone off against the big dogs and you've given them a run for their money. So I think, if anything, you should be taking some confidence and actually some sort of, you know, pride away from that performance. And I appreciate, obviously, that's come off the back of, you know, Man City not having the greatest start to the season. And obviously some of their players have been injured and there's been international duty and the break and things like that. But, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd be really proud. I'd be really bloody proud. I want to get on to City in a minute, but Rachel, going forward, it's hard to separate what's going on in the pitch with Birmingham, which is much improved out of nowhere, and what's still going on in the background. Because we had Chrissy Murray on the TalkSport show yesterday and Shaban was pretty straight at asking her, like, what's changed? Like, you know, are things happening? And she sort of shirked the question, was like, oh, I, I try, you know, I try not to get involved in that. And, you know, we've just got to trust the board, which doesn't fill me with a ton of confidence I mean, how long can they just keep doing their thing before you're like, you know, we need to we need to be getting something from this at the same time? Yeah, I, I think for the players though at the moment and for Carter, um, their focus is staying up. Their focus is avoiding relegation. And I think if they start and it's it's the board are probably using this uh, to their advantage, but you know, they can't really afford to be thinking too much about what's going on off the pitch. Mm. You know, a lot of them are gonna have to focus on turning things around. And I know we talked about them losing points, not getting points from that that game after that performance. But as you said about the confidence, going into Leicester after a performance like that is going to be huge for them. Huge game, yeah. Huge yeah. game this weekend against Leicester. And you know what's mad as well? If they had pulled off that win, could have been game over for Leicester yeah. this season. Four points, Leicester still have nothing. That's giving themselves a huge advantage because they've got a bit of a, a bit, bit of a safety net with even if they lost to Leicester, still got a point point over them. That 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 was for me was the biggest the yeah. biggest sort of um, impact of that. Yeah, but I think you know what Carter's probably doing is trying to keep the players focusing on the short term, the next match, the pitch, and not what's going on around them. Because while yes, their voices um, are going to be important and in terms of driving the club forward, they do have that bigger task of staying up. And if they get relegated, you know the club might use that to just kind of pull all funding so at the moment it's what happens on the pitch for them that's going to be the most important I totally agree because I think that is the kind of fallacy of the women's game is that sometimes you've got a situation where the club will only back you and start giving you more investment and more funding and more resources once the performances are there but actually the the initial thing should be the funding the investment the resources and then the performances start to be there so it's it's obviously going to weaken you know Birmingham's case if they drop down to the women's championship because then the club will turn around and say actually well now you're in the championship now so we're not going to provide all the things that you keep banging on the door for so that that is the most important thing those players need to prove to themselves not to the club because obviously the club I don't think have been particularly helpful um, and you know that's that's been the case for about well over a year since that letter was was written so yeah I think it's um, it is about the players rallying around themselves and doing what they can and trying not to look at the bigger picture because I think the focus should be just on on that squad and doing what they can to stay up on Man City a few sort of Covid chaos things with Janine Becky testing positive, Kira Walsh testing positive and Lucy Bronze then because of 
isolation guidelines, not being able to travel for the game. So they lost three key players, ended up with four subs. But you have to say, even with the circumstances, if City had lost that game, Gareth Taylor has got to go, man. I don't think he would have. You've really I, got it out for him. Yeah, I think... It's oh. not... I'm, I'm not, Like, honestly, it's not that. Season. But I just think if you lose to a team that are on their knees, that are literally fighting tooth and nail for survival... But with I don't everything think in that else, game they were on their knees. I think no. that's the interesting point, is that even though, yes, on paper, Man City should have turned them over quite easily, actually, Burnham City came out in full force, and you've got to give them credit. So even if Man City had gone on and lost that game, I still don't think that's a, a reckoning point. For... Yeah, because Taylor said before the game that, you know, they were they were a bit of an unknown. You, you don't know what to expect from them with the new manager. Um, and you also, there is often, like, tends to be a bounce back when you have a new manager, isn't there? So he was very much aware of that as well um, and I think because Birmingham came out and surprised them and didn't sit back and park the bus for 90 minutes um, not that I'm making excuses uh, but I still think he would have had that been a loss I still think he would have gotten away with it but with everything else that's gone on this season yeah he's got lots of things to point out you know Covid injuries I mean I know there's plenty there's plenty of things he can point out even in this situation alone injuries and Covid but I just, I just don't know where, where the end line is for him. Give him a chance. <laughs> Wait till the end of January. See what happens then. The end line is having those players back fit, and and that's losing. when we know the truth. Well, then you know it's almost a bit like you've got a not a more even playing field, but you know lots of teams are going through injuries. But I think that's probably what the club are giving him. I reckon. Which is nice because I think we've not really seen that. Well, we've we started to see this kind yeah. of WSL um, max mass exodus of you know oh they've not achieved as much as they should be doing or they've got a bad run of matches. Let's get rid of them. Let's get in other people. But actually, it'd be quite nice to actually see a letter manager see out a season yeah. regardless of the uh, the rough and the smooth. We're advocating for Willie Kirk and Scott Booth, and then can't turn around and call for Gareth Taylor. <laughs> yeah, but I think the circumstances are so different then because I think it's the manner of the performances. I think it's but I think it is different. I think when you look at when you look at um, the situation with Everton and the situation at Birmingham, circumstances at Birmingham are still bizarre to me. Yeah, that Scott very there. different circumstances. Uh, that's an anomaly. But the situation with Willie Kirk, like they lost to big sides. They lost to games that they're probably expecting to not necessarily pick up points in any way. Yes, the fault is when they didn't pick up points against the sides that they need to. But, for me, like that made sense more as a as a long term project. With Taylor, like they've lost really badly in games where they should have been home and dry. And I think that's that's the difference. Is like the expectation is so much higher. So therefore the standards and the performances need to be higher too yeah. with what you've got. And I think that's why I'm like, you know, what is it gonna what is and not I'm not saying that I want him to be sacked. I know it sounds like that, but it's almost like what is it actually going to take? Because I just clearly don't think it's going to work, even when all those players are fit. And maybe I'll be proved wrong. But as time goes on, I really realise that, like, basically Sam Mewis carried City through last season. And without her, they are a little bit all over the shop. Well, one thing I would say about Man City's performance the weekend, like, not so much the defensive side of things, but actually having uh, Rasso back fit was a huge bonus for them because they were not over-relying so much on the left wing on Lauren Hemp that actually they were able to come up on both sides. And so that was maybe, actually, you know, when Bronze is, is yeah. back playing, that balance. No, that's totally, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, you know, we can't make a judgment now. We can, you know, we'll see what happens in the season. But I think it is, 
it is something that doesn't seem to go away. I, th- I thought it might go away when then they get a nice run of games, but then suddenly yeah. on Sunday it pops back, back up again, conceding to to Birmingham. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll Maybe see I'm happens. too busy giving Birmingham the credit rather than dissing Man City for that game. I think they've had a tough one. I think I, I, I completely agree. It's obviously not the start of the season that they wanted, but I think when you look back at some of the games they've had, sometimes it's been down to individual errors. You know, Taiba's obviously had a bit of a shocker on some of the games, and that's kind of cost them the points. Also, kind of flute goals from Spurs. I would, I of... would agree on the Taib thing actually. Oh yeah, I would agree so I on think... that. That like perhaps if Ellie Roebuck had been there, or even Karen Bardsley would have been a slightly different situation. Yeah, and that's not me overly criticising Tay, but obviously like, she's come in, she's obviously, you know, it's difficult as a keeper coming into a side like that and having to prove yourself when you've got the likes of, you know, Ellie Roebuck snapping at your heels and you're only in there because of an injury, you're not in there through your own merit. Um, so I think when you sort of take away the individual errors, which are things that, you know, Gareth Taylor can't really be blamed for individual errors when you've got players at elite standard that should be pulling out performances themselves and a kind of fluke situation from the Spurs goal. Um, you know, they've not maybe had the, the smoothest of runs, but yeah, Flo, come on. Be sorry, nice. Gareth, if you're listening. I'm be sorry. nice, yeah. Go on. Wait till Jan. And then we'll jump in. <laughs> FA Cup. Let's not. We're not going to dwell on it too long because we've already chatted chapter and verse about the rules and regulations of stewarding and um, and policing football matches. So we're not going to spend too much time on this because we don't want to go back there with Chloe. But FA Cup third round, let's not focus on Palace. Let's focus on the opposition that beat you, though. <laughs> that's so <laughs> I don't much want to better. Talk about Palace. I don't <laughs> know whether that's any better an intro to the situation. But we have to big up Bridgewater United because... It's been a journey for them. And let's like just take the fact that you play for Palace out of this. Being a championship side is a big scalp for them. And for the women's game, it's great to have a team, an artist formerly known as Yeovil Town, kind of growing and, and getting back up there. And Chloe, you said as well, you had some interesting conversations about the project going on there and a sort of one club mentality and things are looking really good over Bridgewater United. Yeah, it was really positive. And to be honest, you know, obviously it's a difficult game. We're going down there. It was an overnighter and um, we got down there sort of not knowing what to expect. Obviously the pitch was slightly different to the ones that we're sort of expecting, but that's, you know, we're both playing on the same pitch, so I can't really use that as an excuse. What, what was and, up with the pitch? I mean, there's sort of, it was a little bit more bobbly than we, right, we, we okay. were expecting. So polite. Not up to a usual standard. It, it had been played on the day previously. <laughs> okay. so, and you um, could tell there were chunks missing. That sort of sets this, the scene right, of, okay. uh, of what happens. But okay. no, like credit to Bridgewater. They they pulled out an epic performance. They they took their chances and they defended to the death it was kind of a you know a Reading Chelsea type situation yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying they were Chelsea but they were absolutely <laughs> insane and they're yeah. defending we just couldn't get through um, but obviously just on the, the ethos and the mentality of the, the club you know I was speaking to a couple of the, the staff the, the managers and you know the club's kind of heading in one direction and it feels so positive that they've got this new owner come in who's very much committed to you know driving the women's game forward they're talking about you know, stadiums being built, getting bigger fan bases, their social media is improving. So, you know, that was a really positive thing to see because at that level, you don't really see a lot of people really paying attention. So, you know, that's what we need to do is to start. We've got the sort of you know, WSL attention. We're getting a lot more championship attention, but we now need to focus on, on the national leagues as well because they, again, feed into the higher leagues. So. And they're third tier, aren't they? Bridgewater? Third tier, yeah. yeah. And they're third in that tier. So they have potential potentially getting promoted to the championship next season. They could do, yeah. We could be seeing them again. Your rivals, you know, <laughs> well, rivals. Revenge is a, is a dish better served 
cold. Yes, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Uh, it's nice though for formerly Yeovil because, you know, they were briefly in the FAWSL uh, spring series and there was no relegation. So despite coming last, they stayed in the WSL. Um, and then they went into administration and were, you know, docked 15 points or something and then dropped to the FAWC um, or back then FAWSL 2 but were denied a license for that league so they were they were dropped then further and you know they've had managers sacked and owners leave and it's really nice to see um, Adam Murray I think his name is he's the one who kind of rescued them from financial collapse basically and uh, took over Bridgewater Town and that that's now they've sorry yeah took over Bridgewater Town they've now merged and become Bridgewater United? Yes. Yes. So that's the way it's worked. It's nice to see someone like fully invest in not just the men's side or, you know, they're actually investing in that club. And as you say, that one club mentality. And he said that the club will now operate, this is in an article I read about it, they will operate on an increased amount of full-time resources with a greater pool of experienced people in coaching, administration, commercial and marketing. And that's amazing to hear, to have full-time resources put into clubs like this. Um, and they're yeah they're determined to get back up to the FWSL, which would be amazing. It's a real sort of phoenix rising from the ashes tale, which I think is really important because I mean, with the backdrop of Birmingham as well, you don't want to write off these clubs and say, oh, "Screw you! You're treating your women's team like shit." Like there is an opportunity for people to redeem themselves. I know like it's a slightly different situation because Yeovil are now Bridgewater and not attached to Yeovil mm-hmm. Town, the men's side anymore. But there are an opportunity for these these things to be rescued and salvaged and I hope that we'll see more of that in the women's game I mean another shout out we have to give is Clapton Community FC first seventh tier side to make it to the third round lost 5-0 to Plymouth in the end but what a journey um, and I think a lot of people have played attention to, the, to what they've done in the competition this mm. season a lot of people wrote about it and also them doing what they did brought a lot of attention again to the prize money, which is not a conversation that's going to be going away. I know some people have have positive expectations that the prize money will go up next season. So fingers crossed that does happen. How much, I don't know. But, you know, that's the minimum expectation. I think of a lot of people is they all have to increase in some way. But I think what these stories do is they really do shine a light on the important things that are going on in grassroots women's football. And despite the fact that, People were getting a little bit angry on Twitter last night when we were drawing the fourth round. How very dare you. <laughs> um, you know, I think it is really nice to see a few third a few third and fourth tier sides still in it at this stage, which I think is brilliant. And a few championship sides, no offence. Like, n- getting knocked out, I think that's really important. Not in a bad way, but I think it just shows that the whole pyramid is growing and that's what you want to see, like, depth and talent and competition across every level of the women's game. I think the next the next challenge will be seeing right who's getting through in those in those fourth rounds because we've got a lot of, sort of WSL WSL ties, yes. but I think it would be it would be nice to see some of those championship teams, some of those third and fourth teams push the higher levels a little bit more, so we don't just end up with like a quarter final full of WSL teams because in reality that's that's not what we want for the competition. And I think it'd be great, and then to see a team like Brighton reach the final. I mean, they got to semi-finals of last season's cup, but. Like that would be great. Like when West Ham got to final, it was such a big moment for the history of that team and the fans. And you know, so many of their players still talk about that semi-final win. Was it Reading on penalty shootouts? I think. Yes. They they still talk about that as like one of the best moments of their careers. That penalty shootout and getting to Wembley. So I'd love for us to see more of that. Yeah, and also you know one thing that always sticks out to me about the FA Cup and the men's game is all of those 
stories. A fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, and that is not exclusive to men's football. There are so many great stories in the women's game that need to be told. And sometimes they're difficult stories to tell, but a light does need to be shone on them in order to grow the game. Um, and I, you're right, like seeing WSL sides come up against each other so early, you know, it's kind of nice because it means then you're going to have teams lower down getting getting further through the competition. Mm. And that, that just adds to that fairy tale of the FA Cup. And Bridgewater have been drawn against Manchester United at home. Big I mean, that is, that is brilliant. I think that's brilliant. I think we'll see lots of stories. I'm sure I might be writing something. I'm sure we'll see lots of people focusing on that. The ties are going to be played at the end of January. I hope Bridgewater get a big crowd. I think they did get a big crowd for their third round game. So it'd be brilliant to see people come down for that Manchester United. When we know the United fans travel. So I think that'll be a brilliant tie. This weekend, I'm going to be back at King's Meadow. Um, back with Sam Kerr and the pitcher Meadow, who's actually banned now. So he won't be there. But I'm going to be watching Chelsea West Ham, which I'm really intrigued about because mm-hmm. West Ham have been good this season. They're kind of the shit the bed side because they play really well and then can't see it through and concede late goals. Did that against Everton. But I'm really impre- I'm really excited to see how they face another sort of high pressing side like Chelsea off the back of Chelsea defeat. So I'm excited for that. Where are you going to be, Rachel? I am going to Spurs Everton. Um Sophie's going all the way up to Man United for a twelve o'clock kickoff. So Eesh, rather her than me, I'll yeah. say that. Chloe? Uh, well, tomorrow we've got the Conti Cup game against Bristol uh, at home, which should be pretty decent. Uh, and then straight off the back of that into Lewis. Lewis at home. So that's where nice. I'll be. Yeah, Forgot so about the Conti big Cup. Week. I'm actually going to Brighton, West Ham. West Ham, Brighton tomorrow. So someone remind me, otherwise I'll... Uh, <laughs> it's a big He week. won't turn yeah. up. <laughs> I know, it's always, the Conti Cup ones always kind of come out of nowhere. And then we got the quarterfinal draw next Monday for that one as well Um, that's all for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents if you've got any questions for us tweet us at Football Ramble at Floyd Tweet at Girls on the Ball or at Morgie underscore 89 we're going to be back next week our last episode for the year it's going to be a really exciting episode actually we're all really looking forward to it it was an idea that was kind of sparked off the back of a lot of the Rainbow Laces stuff that's been happening over the last couple of weeks, Stonewall's brilliant campaign. There's been loads going on in women's football and it kind of all got us thinking about how women's football's become a really safe space for us. It's all has made us all feel confident and, uh, and extremely happy and joyful and all of those great things. And I think we kind of wanted to bring that to the to the show, right? And kind of tell our own personal stories a little bit about how the games helped us and also hear from some players themselves about how that's impacted them um so we're very excited to bring you the big gay podcast next week which is what we've been nicknaming it um so yeah keep your eyes out keep your eyes peeled keep your ears peeled um for uh, for that next week because yeah it should be a fun one Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 